Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. My name is Will Patch, and I am the Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche.com. I'm speaking today with Paul Terry. Paul has moved into a new role as Assistant Director for Alumni Engagement at UC Davis. Prior to that, he spent a couple of years as the Digital Marketing and Communications Specialist for UC Davis Graduate Studies. So welcome, Paul. Thanks, Will. Yeah, we're going to be talking about inclusivity and, and access and what that means and how we can ask questions and, and change some things in our offices to do better. So, Paul, I'm going to start with uh, four questions here that I'm going to ask everybody. The first is, what's something you tried that didn't work, and what did you learn? Yeah, I, I think one of the things is my observation from working in several sectors of higher education, whether this be in academic medicine, working with graduate students in importing new systems, working with alumni, graduate students across the board. Everyone wants to do better. And so everyone starts a new group to identify the problem and figure out the situation, not realizing that there are a lot of groups doing the same initiatives across campus. This really uh, stifles our ability to innovate, and it's, it's really hard to figure out how to solve problems when everyone across the board is, is doing the same thing. So one of the things that I started with is figuring out one of the conundrums across our campus is that every graduate coordinator really leads the charge in recruitment retention across of our um, 103 graduate programs. Each one is really charged with doing something different, but the skill sets aren't necessarily centered around just recruitment. And so one of the things that I noted is that our ability to do better is to really find a way to collaborate these siloed programs and teach them skill sets around diversity inclusion, basics in marketing, understanding basics and analytics when it comes to websites and social media. This was really useful as far as linking people together and understanding what are the nuances for recruitment, what are the nuances when it transgresses over each of our programs, for example, one program might be doing something very different, but you can see these examples and learn from each other and figure out how to improve your systems as far as reaching students. What are some practices that you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? Yeah, one of the things I, I do quite frequently is create ideation sessions. I want to take just a second to give you a chance to pull out your notebook, take some good notes in the next couple of minutes. The ideation sessions are something that really I think every office should be doing, and I wish I had thought of sooner. I'll be putting a link in the show notes to what ideation sessions might look like, uh, but this is a great time to pause, run, grab some paper if you don't have it, or pull up your notes app. These are the best ways to collect things like real-time best practices of what's going on and capture... You know, these tidbits of information that all of us are gathering uh, through observation. So, for example, as I was mentioning with the graduate coordinators, um, each of them works with different types of graduate coordinators, international, national, people who are local, people from different identities. And they're collecting insights of what their needs are and how they can thrive in their graduate programs. Um, this is true when we work with alumni groups or across the board with staff employee resource groups. Um, having these ideation sessions brings what is needed now in our ability to understand what ideas we can work on and prioritize that for our work. Are, are those ideation sessions always in person or do they take place over video or phone? For the most part, yes. You know, one of the, one of the things that um, I've noted uh, with a lot of these sessions or with the ability to get people to volunteer their time to contribute knowledge 
is to have a session with food. So having like a <laughs> two hour lunch session um, where you provide them something more than sandwiches, something of interest, and uh, really get them into a place where they're very comfortable about talking about these issues. But when it's centered around food, people feel like it's not very much of their time, especially during the lunch hour. You can get a lot around that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're really breaking bread. So people uh, want to have that element of socialization. I like that idea. I do feel like thinking back now, I, I feel like I learned a lot in college sitting around eating meals with different people and a lot more so than necessarily trying to sit down and say, hey, let's get to know each other. Yeah, it's this is also critical if you're going to ask. Um, for example, we did some ideation sessions with some graduate students and having snacks and having something that they can munch on. It really creates a, a good vibe around the session and gets them to the room. Yeah, and college students will always go for free food or free t-shirts. Okay, third question here. What's one thing that we should all be asking ourselves to drive innovation and enrollment in marketing? I think the one question we should be asking is questioning our own biases. Um, when it comes to recruitment and enrollment of diverse populations, we can't possibly know everything and anything. Um, none of us possess every single identity that's out there. So it's our job to really question what we think we know and what's actually happening. Uh, I often use the quote from Pew Research Institute from a few years back that asks, what age range are the fastest adopters of online health information? And most people quote millennials somewhere around 20, 30. Um, but the answer is people above 75. Really? Yeah, and one of the other pieces of information is they realize is they think of millennials, these 20-somethings that are being the ones that are adopting it fast. Millennials are almost 40, so they are our faculty, they are our directors, they are our leaders. Um, so we put these uh, misconceptions of who is actually using, and because of that, our own biases can actually drive misinformation and end up building systems that can inherently be biased because of these. That's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. That's a good question. I, I hope everyone's asking that, but that's a scary question to ask too, because you might find out that you have biases you didn't realize. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that, that really encompasses um, diversity and inclusion is that, yes, these biases exist. Yes, we all have biases. Yes, it's really uncomfortable to to realize that we have them, but our job is to ask, what are our biases? How can we fix them? And how can we do better? That process can be really vulnerable because you're facing a truth that you once knew. The best thing that you could do is, is really face those head on and, and just do better. I like that. Last question here uh, should be a, a pretty cut and dry, I think. Which, which is the worst excuse? Saying that you have no time, or that you have no budget? Oh, it's the no time. It's definitely the no time. I mean, I, I've worked with programs that had money and programs that did not have money. And either way, you know, you get a lot of heart and a lot of uh, capacity built on people. Volunteerism is, is one of the niches that I uh, absolutely adore. And you can do a lot with volunteers. And the time thing, I think we, you know, have not met a person who can manage their time so well that you know, they can do everything and anything. I mean, it's, it's really impossible. That also means we probably have a lot of excess time in our, in our midst. 
And um, it just really is about the priority. What, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? And are you going to make that time for it? Okay, now we're going to jump into actually talking about inclusion, what that means. So my first question here, you know, words have a lot of power. Um, so how do you define inclusion? And how do we try and differentiate that from words like access or acceptance or welcoming? Because they all are in the same vein, typically, but they can be used very differently. They can mean very different things. For the people who are listening and, and for all of us, there are basic definitions for diversity, inclusion, equity that we should all know. And inclusion, it goes beyond just a simple definition of, of getting people involved, getting people linked. There are a lot of variations. But when I look at inclusion and, and what that means, I think about that we have so many diverse backgrounds that it's impossible to know what inclusion means to everyone and anyone. There's always going to be someone left out. And for us to make the most accurate understanding of how to include people, how to get people to participate, how to get people to thrive in a system, it's looking at data points uh, across the board. And these data points come in things like marketing and recruitment tools, looking at what people are looking at, what they're not looking at, asking your faculty committees, doing student interviews on their experience, looking at generalized trends. So thinking about what's going on as opposed to stereotyping. I mentioned stereotyping with the millennials before, where people just assume millennials are around 20-something, but when they're almost 40. Um, there's a great report, the Millennial Impact Report, which mm -hmm. I used for a few years, of a way to predict to where we're going to be. I think in 2012, I looked at millennials that they tended to focus on donating for stuff they're really passionate about and not necessarily the organization. And now we see that tends to be a trend among people in general, whether older or younger, that people are swaying towards something they're really motivated for as opposed to the organization itself. So there are a lot of places where you can find information and compiling all of those is how are you going to figure out what are the ways we can be inclusive? And then how do you use that data to... To, to actually tell a story and make it make it usable because just having enormous amounts of data mm -hmm. isn't that helpful if you don't have actionable ways of, of doing things. And, and how do you, UC Davis, a very large school, how do you coordinate all that data and make it usable? You know, it's, that's a, that's like, that is one of the biggest challenges. Um, mm -hmm. There are lots of ways we could do it. Um, but first it's, you know, the first step is really us taking the step to learn about the data and learn about people and learn about groups that aren't necessarily our own identities, because this is what's going to be really helpful in reading the data and understanding how to build our systems. So, for example, in the application phase, you might think about if you're trying to revert, uh, recruit diverse populations, what are the what are the stressors that are happening in the application phase for the people you're trying to recruit? In my mind, I think about first-gen students and their experience of imposter syndrome or not believing in themselves to be able to apply to a program. And one of the things we can combat that with is sending out marketing communications at touch points where they're feeling that stress. 
So you might send out some application emails, reminders a month before or a week before the application deadline is due and just gently reminding them on sources of how to complete their application, um, steps that they can take that will be successful in gathering their letters of recommendation. So it's not just about explaining to them, hey, you need your letter of recommendation. It's, hey, here's how you approach your faculty so that we can get them to apply and be successful. And how are you working to identify those stressors? Are you building personas? Is it all coming out of these interviews and and processes there? Yeah, you know, um, a lot of the work that I started with was building personas, meeting graduate coordinators, listening to people, understanding what is their main problem. And one of the main problems that I heard time and time again from program to program is they want to recruit a more diverse population. They just don't know how. And as I dug deeper, some programs are doing it really well and some programs are struggling. And when it came down to the we started, some programs, we started interviewing students and just asked them, what was your experience like in the application process? Where are you stressing? What are the things that we can do better? When you're looking for a program online, what are the elements that you're looking for that are going to represent an authentic culture and climate when you get there? And from there, we were able to figure out stories about faculty and students what are their research? What are the fun things they like to do? And when we started putting these stories into the profiles on the website, it started making a connection to real people and, and real culture that students could identify as a place that they could possibly be successful. Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges, too, that when, when people say we want more diverse class, well, what does that mean? Mm. Because you have mm. the visible diversity and then you have the invisible diversity. You can't look at someone and tell if they're first gen. You can't look at someone and tell what their socioeconomic background is. Diversity can mean so many different things. You might have several people that on a visual test, on, on an image, on a photo, someone might say, oh, well, that's not a very diverse school. But we don't, we don't know them. We don't know their story. How can we get to the root of some of that? I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's really an answer. Like, there's, there's definitely, it's not mapped out. Um, but you know, that's sort of the, the thing about diversity is there's not really a clear path for all of this. We're inventing the path. But everyone wants an answer and everyone wants to, to tell you they can sell you the answer. And <laughs> yes, but, um, really, you know, it all comes down to the fact that our systems are built with inherent prejudice and bias. And we're going un- we're going against this unconscious bias. We're going against conscious bias. We're going against all of these things that are working against us. But when it comes down to it, the best thing that we can do for recruitment around diversity intention, for retention itself of our faculty, staff, and students is to simply ask them and figure out what are the problems in the process and how can we ameliorate those things? We can't fix it all. It's, it's impossible to, but we can work at it with micro stances where we're doing it little by little. But we can also learn from each other. It's our responsibility to do the work. We are the leaders that are building the systems. We are the architects for all of these. We are the people that are the face of the organization. We are the people that are educating others. 
And it's our job to learn more about diversity and inclusion. It's our job to know about the systemic problems. It's our job to check our biases and ask, do we have the most concurrent information? If we do, that's when we're going to recognize and be able to advocate when there are issues in the system. Wow. That's, there's a lot there. That's uh, How can institutions authentically demonstrate inclusivity if it's currently more aspirational or just a work in progress? And then how do you actually show that in imagery and text so you don't get that stock photo look? Yeah, authenticity... That's an area where it's challenging more so in really asking, are we doing the best that we can? And you're absolutely right that we pull up these stock photos of people to represent diversity. and But that's our understanding of how to create a more diverse environment. Uh, one of uh, the graduate program coordinators at Davis approached me and said, that their marketing and communications um, department sent over a recruitment flyer about the program. And what they put on the flyer was a bunch of data saying, we're top here, we're top here, we're top here. And she noted that how is this going to tell a story and show that the diverse students that we're trying to recruit are going to fit into the program? They can look up this data anywhere online, and we know that students are very resourceful in finding this information. It's really easy to go online and look at the transparency through social media, through websites, through stories, through the information that is put out there, and understand if a program is going to let a person thrive. But if we're just sending out data and information on that end, it's not really doing much to represent our authentic culture and our authentic um, climate that we want to attract these students. I really love that you use the word thrive in there. That's that's a pet peeve of me of mine when people talk about, oh, we'll we'll graduate or we'll succeed, or uh, you hear the students talking about college survival. Thrive is a very different word, and I think is more what should be aspired to. I agree. I, I think I hear in my position, I hear from students from a lot of different identities talking about their experience. Um, each of these observations really draws into my own personal understanding of how my lens that I view on making my systems and, and learning how to do more. It's one of the great ways that I can do better at advocating for other identities. And through these stories, um, you know, you see about what people are really struggling with. When it comes to, let's say, an LGBT international student from a country who doesn't actually accept their identity as LGBT. They're struggling to deal with things of being out in their science. If being out or having any infraction might send them back to that country. And when you're thinking about trying to recruit students like that, you have to really think about what are the other things that are reducing their ability to thrive. It's about finding ways to get them to success and knowing what is it that they're really struggling with. Yeah. That actually leads really nicely into the next question I had for you. How does an institution authentically showcase their services and support systems they have and the actual experience the student would have engaging with those? Yeah, so for, let's say, let's take the recruitment cycle. And I mentioned before the idea of 
having a resource that shows first-generation students how to get letters of recommendation. When you have a bulleted list that says, get your list letters of recommendation, do this, do that, that doesn't really teach people how to approach professors. And for students like a first generation, that might be a tricky thing because they don't have necessarily the mentorship or the explanation of approaching professors. Maybe one of someone might be fortunate to interact with a professor that teaches them how to do that. But that's a very stressful thing. And so if you could teach your students in the recruitment process on how to approach them, what is the etiquette for writing a letter of recommendation, even things like sending a thank you note afterwards, those I think can really empower people to do the work. I think that's something that can bring it back to the recruiting and someone saying, we want a more diverse class. You can bring in a more diverse class, but then how do you support them and how do you make sure that a year, two, three, when they're asking for those recommendation letters, have you given them the toolkit and the empowerment to actually be able to take that next step? It's not just being able to enter the door, but how do you thrive then once you're there and, and go out and open that next door? Yeah, I mean, this is where you're asking how to do better as a culture. Well, let's solve that now. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in two minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that is... You know, uh, I wish I could give an answer to that. I will never be able to answer that. But what I can do is is talk about little nuances that we can think about to shift our systems so that they're more focused on the actual needs of people as opposed to what they think they need. So we had a program that was really interested in how they could shift their website, how they could uh, do better with social media channels and understand how they can recruit in an authentic manner. So the first thing I did is I got the graduate coordinator, the IT person who builds the website, um, a breadth of graduate students from different areas and some faculty. And we did some ideation sessions. First, we created personas. So we created some simple ones, um, one on international students, one on local students, and one on domestic students that are coming in from nationally. And through that, we are able to understand how they need to do better with moving resources around in the recruitment and retention. When they saw that the website was a great place to showcase stories of the different students in the, in the faculty, that if they took their diverse student population and started creating videos that talked about their experience in the program and afterwards as alumni, that these could really show everyone how to have a path to success during the program and beyond. And one of the things that we saw that came out of the session is that wherever they were in the recruitment phase, in the retention yield phase, in the orientation phase, or in the current student phase, the representation of the program through social media and online was always authentic. It always matched. The people matched. The activities that they did looked fun from a prospective student. And when they got there, they were fun. They saw that the program encouraged them to socialize and link together. And because of that, future students and future alumni could speak to their experiences Faculty could talk about that authentic representation 
And when people come to the social media website, they're able to interact and see this authentic representation of diversity and inclusion. This is such a great story about how to use full data sets to really build an authentic story and to create authentic experiences online, in person, by pulling in all these data sets of how people use the website. What are their stories? What are their pain points? So this is something I really want to emphasize. It's important that we consider the full experience. It's great. I, th I like that because it takes the traditional thought of a website as being the dumping ground of, of information and, and forms and links and turns it into a media channel, which is why it is. When I was looking at analytics across the university at, at Davis, most users are the prospective graduate student. It's not necessarily faculty for faculty or undergraduates. In the University of California system, undergraduates go and apply through one central application. For graduate school, they're applying through grad studies, but they're looking at the application process from each of the individual program websites. So a lot of traffic that is coming to our websites are coming from prospective graduate students. If you look at what is prioritized on the websites, graduate student recruitment tends to not be number one in a lot of them. Interesting. I hadn't even considered that dynamic. That Yeah, for the UC system, that would completely change what the website is. It's, it's not geared towards, I mean, you might have to do some capture of interest with some landing pages and things for undergrad, but it's not... It's not an undergrad first, like most places. Yeah, so these are the cultural things that I didn't really understand instead of, until I started digging deeper and asking questions and observing what was going on. These nuances are going to be very different from one university to another, one program to another. And that's why I think going back to understanding multiple data sources is very important because these are going to reveal that's one of the things I've really appreciated, Paul, that you, you take a very different data-driven approach. Um, most people are looking, that, that I've spoken to at least, are looking at diversity and inclusion from changing demographics uh, and, and not taking that extra step of all the other data out there and how do we connect it and how do we make sense of all of it? Uh, because really inclusion is so much more than just demographics. Yeah, you know, I think that's it's, it's a huge part of it. So I, I don't want that to sound like, you know, I'm not thinking about, let's say, population health, mm -hmm. because that is one of the big lenses that I, that I look through is the social determinants of health that are related to certain populations. That's very revealing when we're talking about education and understanding systems. When we're thinking about first generation students, they're probably not aware of how to gain a mentor or even having the confidence to ask people to be a mentor. Yeah, well, that's great. So last question here. What are some of the resources or processes that someone could use to audit where they are and to start a plan towards greater inclusion? And I think we we talked earlier and I was saying that this is this is a bit of a scary one because if you ask questions about how are you doing, you might find out I'm not doing well. And that's that can be a scary prospect. Well the first thing is when you have an experience like that, you ask a question about your own view of the world, and it's very different from what the truth is, is to not take it personally and recognize this is a moment that we can change for the better. It's a very vulnerable experience, especially when we're challenging our biases, but it's also a place where we can do better as an advocate 
by understanding what is really going on. Recognizing that we can't possibly know everything about everyone, but we can do better by connecting the dots. And that's really being a better reference to the resources that are out there. And in order for us to be a better reference, we got to keep learning, we got to know more, and we have to put the onus on us to learn about other people. When I think about some of the processes or someone can use to audit where they are, you know, coming back to this whole idea of if you did not know that millennials are almost 40, then it's perhaps time to step back and ask, what are some generational nuances that are happening among your population? People who are in their early 20s are not necessarily using Facebook. Are you using Facebook ads to recruit people? Do you have a program that is more focused on adult learners? And what are the things that adult learners really want? They really want to get to the information fast and easy. They are ready to make the decision. Um, they like the culture and climate, but, but probably a lot of times they already have their own lives. So what they really want is how can I get in and how can I get out? We need to think about what are those little things that people are looking for to be able to participate with us? And we should always be asking that question. How can we build a system that is going to let others participate with us? If someone's, you know, saying, well, this is something I'm really passionate about, I'm really interested in, but I'm an admissions counselor, I'm, I'm the lowest on the totem pole right now, or I'm a college counselor working at K-12, or I'm an independent counselor, I, I just don't, I don't have this sort of impact that I can make. What would you say to someone who's thinking that? You know, we all have the ability to make an impact. We all have the ability to call out when things are not right. Uh, we just had um, our uh, vice chancellor of diversity, equity, inclusion broadcast on Twitter that said, if you see something that's wrong, call it out. This is really what makes us better advocates for change and making a system better. If there's a microaggression going on, if there's outdated information, it's our jobs to really point this out and to boost the culture so that we can have a system that does better. If we're complacent, if we ignore what's going on, this is when we let other problems come in. So I think for all of us, the more we can take it on ourselves to learn, that's when we're creating a climate and a culture that's going to be more inclusive and serve the people that we are really trying to recruit. Fantastic. Thank, thank you so much, Paul. I will encourage everyone to learn more, ask these questions, take a hard look at our processes and, and our websites and everything to make sure are we being authentic in what we're trying to do? Are we including everybody? Uh, or are we setting up barriers and barricades? Thanks, Will. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Where, where can people find you if they have questions or want to reach out to you later? I have my website, pauldavidterry.com, which will be having a nice upgrade in the next month or two. You can find information there. Yeah, and we'll, we'll put a link to that there in the show notes. Otherwise, uh, you can send me a message on Twitter. Um, I'm always there. So trying to broadcast how we can all do better together. Yeah. Well, thank you, Paul. And uh, thank you, everyone else, for listening to our Enrollment Insights podcast. Mm-hmm.